Hey, FinTech friends. Hey Fintech friends, my name is Helen Femi Williams and I'm your host of the Hey Fintech Friends podcast brought to you by This Week in Fintech. So let's talk about the structure of this podcast. First, we're going to go through the news. And if you subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter, well, you're in luck because this is the audio version. Secondly, we'll go through the Fintechionary. Then we're going to have a chat with this week's friend, Christina Malaz Kiriazi. And lastly, I'll tell you a little bit about the latest Signals article. Skip the teller. Digital Banking in Emerging Markets by Sophie Vo. Okay, so this week's Fintechionary is alternative assets. According to Investopia, an alternative investment is a financial asset that does not fall into one of the conventional investment categories. Conventional categories include stocks, bonds and cash. Alternative investments can include private equity or venture capital, hedge funds, managed futures, art and antiques, commodities and derivative contracts. Real estate is also often classified as an alternative asset. Some of the key takeaways from the Investopia article also include the idea that most alternative investments have fewer regulations from the US Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and tend to be somewhat illiquid. While traditionally aimed at institutions or accredited investors, alternative investments have become feasible to retail investors via alternative funds. This week in FinTech. And the news. In Singapore, DPS Bank launched an API for corporate treasurers with FinLink and opened a crypto exchange for high net worth clients. Mobile manufacturer Samsung launched two new credit cards in India with Axis Bank. Chase and DoorDash launched a co-branded card. And in Hong Kong, they launched their own digital currency. In other news, Colorado will now let residents pay taxes with crypto. Chase reached 1 million UK users as Citibank announced plans to exit the UK retail market. Barclays is pivoting its Rise incubator to focus on laid-off fintech talent. In product launches, Stackwell, an investment platform for the Black community, released a robo-advisor app aimed at closing the wealth gap. African cross-border payments app, Chippecash, partnered with card issuance platform Hynote to release a US chipper card tied to digital wallet balances. Singapore's Cake DeFi launched a conservative crypto earning account meant to protect users against market volatility. Crypto Exchange High announced debit cards customized with NFTs. LATAM Crypto Exchange Bitso launched QR code payments in Argentina. And in other news, Walmart's digital banking offering built with fintech startup One is finally starting to come out of stealth. Robinhood announced a new feature to its Robinhood Gold subscription, 3% interest on invested cash. Coinshift and Superfluid worked on a crypto payroll product together and Betterment partnered with Gemini on crypto portfolios for retail investors. Nigerian's payments provide a Flutterwave integrated Google Pay as an option for businesses and Amazon partnered with small business lender Lendistry to continue lending to business owners from socially and economically distressed communities. 
A firm and Amazon are teaming up on Buy Now Pay Later in Canada and Revolut can now offer crypto in the UK. And Klarna is planning a second round of layoffs while UK banking app Sync went into bankruptcy. That's this week in fintech. Christina joined Bain Capital Ventures in 2021, where she focuses on early stage investment in fintech and commerce. Christina was previously head of product for consumer foundations at Firm, where she led a team of product managers to enable a delightful, frictionless customer experience from account creation to loan servicing. Before a firm, Christina was a senior product manager at GoFundMe, where she worked on growth and new product areas. Earlier in her career, Christina also spent some time in business operations at LinkedIn and as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. Christina is an active angel investor and advisor to early stage companies. She also holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA in economics from Stanford. Christina grew up in LA and now lives in San Francisco with her husband, John, and son, Theo. She loves running and skiing, which, funnily enough, we actually discuss. Specifically, me skiing in Christina's parents' home country of Bulgaria and just basically how bad I am at it. Hope you enjoy this friendly chat. How are you? It's uh, great to meet you today. Great to meet you as well. I, um, I'm doing awesome. Good. I can't complain. Both my young children slept through the night. Oh, okay. How old are they? <laughs> Two and three months. Oh, wow. That is an achievement. Well done. I know. I know. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I think so. Maybe you have um, two nights in a row. Go for a second night. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. happen all the time. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. And also congratulations on having, uh, well, yeah, what kind of newborn would you you say? Three months is still newborn. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. Very young. Is it boy, girl, two boys, two girls? Yeah. Older boy, younger girl. Okay, nice. It's been good. It's been really fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, congratulations on so many achievements that have already happened today. That's amazing. It's a, it's a good start to the day. Where are you based? I'm in San Francisco. Nice. Is it is it still sunny? It's a beautiful day. Yeah, we are entering San Francisco summer, which starts in the fall. So we finally get our warm, nice weather. Oh, okay. Well, I'm based in London and... Summer is over. <laughs> it is very much over. Like, I'm wearing a, yeah, honestly, I'm wearing a jumper today. And I thought to myself, I need to start wearing a jacket. Like it's done. It's finished. We're done for the good weather. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, that, that's it. That's, we, we appreciate it. So yeah, I mean, excited to have you on the podcast. Um, it is great to kind of speak to you and find out your story. So I'm going to just get stuck into it. Um, I think you've had a look at the questions. And my first question is, um, actually, yeah, just tell, tell me a little bit about yourself, like a bit about your journey, how you got to Bain Capital, like who is Christina? Yeah, I will um, do do it quick and high level. I, uh, I'm from Los Angeles originally. I uh, went to Stanford for undergrad And after school, I started my career in finance. So I went to Goldman Sachs. I did investment banking. I realized I liked finance, but I was more interested in how world-class companies were built and operated. So I moved out to the Bay Area. I joined a company. um, I joined LinkedIn, which had benefited from hyper-growth of social networks. It was a really great company. 
um, spent about a year there and left for a really early stage company to help uh, get it off the ground. And then I decided to get my MBA. So I went to Harvard Business School and spent two years there. And that's really where I got interested in fintech and was um, pretty inspired by some of the things I learned. I think, you know, you asked how, or, you, you know, you asked as one of the questions how I got into the world of fintech um, at HBS. We had a, we have case studies and one of the protagonists of a case study was Wences Caceres, who's the founder of Zappo, which is a uh, early, you know, crypto startup. And he said, you know, why is it that you can see someone across the world instantly on Skype, but you can't send that person a dollar. Um, and, it, and it opened my eyes to all the problems still left to solve in money movement and in payments and in crypto. And he basically said, you know, this was 2014. He's like, Bitcoin is the internet. And so all you MBAs better pay attention. Um, and so I did, and I, I didn't work in crypto then, but I went and joined um, GoFundMe after school, uh, spent a few years there, uh, on the product side. And then after that, I joined a firm, the buy now, pay later fintech company, um, and saw that go through a meteoric rise from a few hundred to a few thousand employees. And led I led various parts of the product team. Um, and during that time, I was also doing a lot of angel investing. And so I started just loving my angel investing and realizing that my, you know, side hustle with angel investing could could be a full-time job as a venture capitalist. I got to know the team at Bain Capital Ventures and just loved them and really loved the platform as one of the you know premier fintech and commerce investors. And those are the areas I focus on. So I decided to join last November. And so I've been here about, I guess, eight or nine months at this point. And um, it's been great. I focus on investing in early stage fintech commerce and some, you know, consumer companies. Wow. Such a whistle stop tour. Like you've done so many different things. And also it's not even necessarily just like fintech or, or maybe you're taking the same principles, but in like so many different industries or like similar industries, like kind of close to it, but a little bit different at the same time. So that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, to your non-fintech friends, how do you explain like what you do on a daily basis or, or your job in general? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I define fintech as as pretty much, um, well, fintech is financial and technology. And so I think of it as anything that touches money or anything innovating on how money is saved, stored, used, transacted. Um, and fintech is really trying to automate and improve both the manufacturing and the distribution of all financial services. And so more specifically, I think it includes everything from banking to payments to lending to wealth management, insurance, prop tech, crypto. I mean, it's a really, really large space. Um, and so I think of my job as a investor in fintech startups as enabling founders who are trying to help people um, you know, uh, have a, a better and more inclusive and more seamless financial system. Um, so that's how I'd say I'd describe it at a high level. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like bringing everyone together and like in helping them with that sort of investment side. 
When it comes to kind of like a fintech fact or stat that you've seen recently, is there something that you've seen maybe when it comes to like investing or in general when it comes to bank capital um, that you think is like really like potent to share? Yeah, I mean, there are there are lots and lots of stats, so I could take this in many directions. But I'm going to uh, one thing that, you know, we've spent a lot of time on as a firm is um, embedded fintech. And that has become a pretty popular topic, but we wanted to solidify our thought leadership in it. So we, in combination with Bain and company, wrote a whole report trying to quantify the market opportunity. And so we basically went industry by industry and said, how big is this embedded fintech opportunity and what are the different applications and why are we still excited about it? Um, so, so the stat, so one stat I think is really interesting Delta, the airline, what do you think they make money from? Um, planes. Uh, I mean, fly, flying, <laughs> flying planes. Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> they do make money from flying planes, but actually like 40% of their revenue comes from selling miles to American Express. Okay. Um, and so why is that interesting? Well, because of that exact point, they fly people around the world, but yet so much of their profit and money comes from um, fintech and particularly what I think of as one part of embedded fintech where um, you can have a credit or a debit card that comes from a business that you love or resonate with or you use all the time. So whether that's Delta where you're taking flights, you want to earn miles or Uber where you're, you know, you're taking a car and you want to be able to order one and you want to have an Uber card. Um, and so, you know, in 2021, in the US, people spent like $3.6 trillion on their debit cards and $3.5 trillion on their credit cards. Um, and so some small percentage of those were from what we'd call like embedded banking offerings. So where you have a card that's associated with a separate business that's not just a bank. But I think that's going to continue to grow up, you know, increase. And so probably will double, triple you know, quadruple over the next few years. And so I'm excited about all of the different pieces enabling um, credit or debit cards to be uh, more easily embedded in places you shop for e-commerce or small businesses um, or even on the B2B side around the platforms where you as a company are doing your work. So I just thought that was kind of funny that, you know, there's all these companies that make so much of their revenue from nothing related to what you think they do. No, that does make a lot of sense. And I think you're right. You see this crossover. Do you know what? I think, I think the best thing about that kind of embedded finance element that you've said is like the seamlessness against behind it. So it's like, it's happening, but I guess from a sort of B2C side, it's not even necessarily the, the consumer won't even necessarily know it's happening. It's just one of those things that are happening in the background. Is that kind of how you see it going where it's so seamless where no one even knows it's happening? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the like the best consumer example of that is probably shop pay like shop pay has definitely changed the way i buy things like i buy too many things now because of shop pay <laughs> because it's so easy to pay and your shipping address is already pre-filled and they can offer me buy now pay later they have all my saved information um and i can store you know a balance with them so it, it's basically embedding a consumer wallet into your shopping platform um, and it enables people to purchase things a lot more seamlessly as just like one example. Yeah. And it'll be so interesting um, how that goes. Like to your point, when you were back at um, 
Harvard, I guess, the whole thing was about like how we move money around so quickly and embedded finance is allowing you to do that in a way that is so seamless that you don't even necessarily know it's happening. It's just one of those things happening in the background. So if I sort of circle back to you and like what you're doing, um, we've talked to, I guess we've talked a lot about what you're doing right now at Bain Capital and like something that's really important, like embedded finance. What do you think is one of the most important things you'll do in your career when it comes to fintech or not even necessarily when it comes to fintech, just in general? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I mean, I hope that my role uh, will be to support some world-class entrepreneurs who change the world um, and build large mission-driven companies that provide a lot of value for people and build products that people love and use. And so I think, you know, I love that zero to one phase um, of product building because it's messy and you're kind of wandering through the desert, searching for product market fit, and you're trying a lot of things. Um, and so my hope is that I can partner with, you know, really amazing founders who are really passionate to, to go through that journey. And is there like a specific field that you, like when, it, when you talk about founders and like this, this, the areas in which you will kind of want to be in that journey is there is there specific fields like that interest you more than others is there like a a specific space or is it just kind of um I don't know is it sort of general well I think um you know fintech is broad but I feel like my my experience building products at companies like Affirm and GoFundMe is directly relevant to founders building in fintech because fintech is a regulated space some of the old adages like move fast and break things don't quite apply to fintech because you can't just launch a product that could break when it's dealing with someone's money and their livelihood. Like the stakes are higher when you're building with people's financial, you know, um, interests like directly in mind. And so uh, I think I'm particularly well positioned for fintech and commerce and a lot of interesting companies are built on the intersection of those two. But I also, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, have had experience in in other industries as well in, um, you know, consumer companies, in B2B companies. And uh, I'm I'm just, I really want to, I like learning from the founders that I work with. And that's like probably my favorite part of this job is that I learn something every single day. Um, so I'm certainly like, I see myself as the enabler of these amazing people. And I just want to be there to help part of the journey, you know, and provide capital mainly, but a a bunch of other things too. Yeah. I think because you have such a massive like wealth in so many different industries within it, you can kind of pick up different things from different industries. And maybe this question is similar, but do you have kind of like a a big vision then or dream for what FinTech could be? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, I grew up, I said I'm from Los Angeles. Um, my mom was born in Bulgaria. And so she grew up in a communist country and she came here when she was 13. Um, and so, you know, her family, uh, when they started working, they invested everything they had in real estate. And they were like, there's this fear of investing in things that can disappear, like stocks. Um, and they came from a place where money could be taken away from you, literally. 
So financial access and, and literacy and, you know, inclusion are things that are, I'm really passionate about. Um, and so I guess my vision or my hope is that we can continue to build like a global financial system that's more inclusive with broader access and um, also more democratized as well. And I think that's why, you know, crypto and DeFi are really interesting. Um, that's why I, I think things like the democratization of alternative assets is interesting. So in the past, um, you know, access to private equity firms or venture capital firms or expensive arts were historically reserved for the ultra wealthy and they could make a lot of money from that. But now there's all these new there's a new class of companies that are trying to give regular people access to that as well. So I think access, seamlessness, and embedded everywhere um, would be some of the themes that I would describe for the next, you know, 10 years plus in fintech. Yeah, no, I I also feel very passionate about that. I think I think you make a really good point there. Side note, I went to Bulgaria this year, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I've still never been. I've I've literally never visited. Yeah, it's on our list. We just, like, haven't made it. Yeah, no, I went skiing. I went skiing in Bulgaria. How was it? It was great. No, it's awesome. Like, first of all, the food was great. Um, Wine, did not know about Bulgarian wine. The wine there was amazing. Honestly, wanted to bring back, like, as much as possible. Um, Yeah, food was good. People were great. Um, skiing was really, really fun and it's pretty cheap, like in comparison to other places. So you can just kind of have a good time. Live large. <laughs> Live large. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Um, so yeah, side note, go to Bansko for skiing. Right okay. Now. Thank you. Um, good to know. I'm dying to visit. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I had a great time, but I don't have any, yeah, I only have like positive things to say. Um, skiing was a little bit traumatic to me, for, for me, but that's not because of the country of Bulgaria. <laughs> just like me just being so scared um, <laughs> it gets easier it gets easier it's, it's, do you know what it is it's because I'm flat-footed so like doing pizza is really hard for me so every time I'd stop I'd be like I may like I couldn't stop properly and I was like I might just die um, <laughs> <laughs> but but everyone everyone from Bulgaria was like because okay so when you do it like a ski like I guess you do a ski class but it's kind of like you go to the top of the mountain you meet someone and you're just literally like they're literally like all right you want a ski instructor like just find someone like it's not I don't know it's just you just meet someone at the top of the mountain that's just what it is do you know what so I mean? funny. they're like here's your lesson just yeah. head downhill yeah, yeah, the, yeah. They're like, this is what we've been doing since we were like, they were like, when I was when I was a kid, my dad just bought me some skis and said ski. So like, so me as an adult, they're just like, girl, like get it together. It's, it's, do you know what I mean? They're just looking at me like, look at the look at the babies. <laughs> I know, but babies are fearless, and then when you're our age, you have fears. Yeah, so it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, no, the baby, the babies are the best, and they're just so cute, just like flying down the mountain. I know. <laughs> We're going to teach our son to ski this year. So I'm like really excited to put them in like that little puffy suit. Yeah, you have they to. Just oh like my God. Out. That's a perfect reason yeah. to go to Bulgaria. <laughs> Great place. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, um, I think I completely understand what you mean when you talk about financial inclusion. Like, because I think it's one of those ones where if you don't know, you're never going to know. And unless you're kind of taught it or there's like conversations around the dinner tables about like stocks and shares, there's not like a space in which people just learn. Well, I think more and more there's a space, but 
it's not one of those things you learn. And to your point about kind of communist country and like that kind of trust, it's like, I think for a lot of people, even, even you know, my culture is like, um, there's a mistrust when it comes to like financial institutions and, you know, where they're putting your money and what they're going to do and if it even exists after you give it to them. And I think when you talk about alternative assets, it's kind of that growing place where, traditional banks people aren't really trusting but you have this like space where maybe you didn't trust it but you kind of feel more like you can because it's decentralized or because it's more democratized is is that what you think yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think um we're privileged in the u.s to have a financial system that uh you know to date has you know, when you're like backed by the faith of the U.S. government or your FDIC insured, like that means something. Um, and, and people have been able to trust it. Uh, so, so I think that's good. But at the same time, people don't trust their banks. Like young people don't trust credit card companies at all. And that's why many, many more young people are using debit cards and switching to alternative ways to pay. And that was one of the things that helped accelerate buy now, pay later and the rise of these different payment methods. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited and I've invested in companies that benefit from that trend. So I think our financial system is trusted, but many institutions are not. People don't like their banks for the most part. Um, and then the rise of all these like neobanks and new players and, and banks that make it a lot easier for people to manage their money I think actually forced all of the banks to do a much better job. And so they all invested in their tech teams and built pretty great apps. And they've come a long way in the last 10 years. So now we're at a place where actually there's a lot of good options, I think, you know, from at least like a banking perspective. Um, and the next wave is going to be people who, innovate on like the distribution of those products like embedded right like how can you get them more easily um, or the underlying assets whether it's based on blockchain um, that enables you to do different things so yeah that didn't exactly answer your question but i think there's a lot of interesting things happening right now yeah or maybe it's just like the ability to have options like i think it's like because you can have a person but I actually think this is like a lot of people where you can't really trust anything, but you're just like, if I have a little bit everywhere or if I can like kind of put, you know, diversify, it kind of, it's kind of like you put something here, you put something there and maybe you don't, maybe you trust a neobank more than you trust a traditional or vice versa, or, or maybe you trust nothing, but you know, it's not all like before, you know, like I guess 20 years ago, even not even 20, like, you know, the other day, you can only ha you only have your you have your money in less places. Like I think with like fintech or the way we've moved now with alternative assets, it allows people to kind of just have more options of what they do with it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. And alternative assets are really interesting. I mean, they're often much riskier too, right? So it's like, do I expect the average person to put money into like rare art that could be a a one or a zero? Um, I think maybe if it's delivered to them in the right mechanism and it's the right amount um, and there's a lot of education that comes along with it, but, but people should have access to that. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have the option before there was no option to decide if you want to put your money in rare art. So, yeah, 
But let's circle back to you and Christina. Um, um, a question that um, I'm quite interested in, it was a question from an, um, our first guest, actually, is uh, what was kind of your oh shit moment in your career? And like by that, I kind of mean... To be honest, I mean, like, a time where you were doing something and, like, you thought it was good and then maybe things went wrong and <laughs> you had to kind of work it out. Yeah. I feel like I've had a fair number of some version of oh shit moments. Um, I think everybody does. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one one oh shit moment for me, which at the time felt like a big deal, was... I graduated from HBS without a job and I, you know, spent two years there and I was looking around at my peers and a lot of people had a finance or consulting or banking job lined up. And, uh, I just felt this little sense of panic. Like, am I the only one who hasn't figured this out? But I wanted to do something a little bit unique and I wanted to learn how to build great companies. Um, and so I, I decided to wait to really find the right thing. And I moved back out to San Francisco without a job and just spent months talking to startups. Like I just talked to everybody um, and really tried to figure out what, you know, what's going to, what's going to be a company where I can contribute, where I can learn. I was really passionate about FinTech. So I ended up talking to a lot of FinTech companies. Um, but I finally ended up at, at GoFundMe and that really set me up for the rest of my career to be a product builder, um, which was great. But, but there was definitely like a lot of moments of doubt where I was like comparing myself and saying, am I, you know, it, it, did, I, did I decide to do the right thing? I, I think I, I completely get that and that's normal. And also I feel like, yeah, I feel like that level of self-doubt or imposter syndrome or whatever it is, like it's so prevalent and so no one also I think specifically in women you have that higher rate of like is this am I good enough or is this where I'm meant to be or just like a constant level of self-doubt like do you feel now where you're at Bain Capital do you feel kind of do you still feel like you have that or do you feel like that's something that you've kind of like stepped into and like leaned into yeah I've I've definitely had imposter syndrome since I can remember like just my entire life um I remember showing up at Stanford the first week and like the person who lived to my left was an Olympic swimmer and the person on my right had like one was like the smartest math genius in China. Like something where I was like, why am I here? I like don't belong at this place. I am feel inadequate. Um, and, and that, and that feeling has persisted many times. Um, but I almost, now I take that to be a positive sign. I actively seek out situations where I feel like that because it's how I push myself and it's how I grow. And I'm in a di very different place uh, like than when I started uh, Stanford you know, many years ago. Um, I still feel that way. But the thing that I've learned is that nobody knows what they're doing. Right. And so when you're younger... <laughs> You think everybody has it figured out. And that's, older, that's what they tell you. They tell you, exactly. They're like, here's the path, here's what you got to do. And the older you get, you realize no one has it figured out. And what's really important is doing great work, building great relationships, having interesting points of view, and um, continuing to 
trying, um, like, this sounds so cheesy, but just like build things that have value and make the world a better place. And like, if you do that and you, you are reliable and smart and people like you, like good things are going to happen. So yeah, I don't, I don't feel, I, I feel, um, I don't know. I would, yeah, I wish I could give every person that message who's like a bit younger, but, but you do have to put in the work, I will say. Like, that's an important part of this is like, you have to be consistent over time and you have to try and it's okay to fail. Um, but if you just keep going, like good things will happen. No, I, th- I think you're so right. Like, I think when I was 21 and I graduated and I had my first grad job and all that sort of stuff, I felt, I felt that anxiety, but it was like in a negative way where you're like, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And now it's like, it's not that it's gone. It's just I've leaned into it. And like, it's more like, oh, this is an ongoing discussion with myself. And I'm okay with that discussion. Before I wasn't okay with that discussion because I think when you, with school and stuff, you're in this path where it's like, you're born, you go to school, you graduate, you you work. And like, it's as though society tells you like when you work, something's meant to happen, I don't know. Like you're just meant to be somewhere. And when you don't have that, there's this like strange little like mental thing that I think a lot of people in their early 20s have where they just need a second to work it out. So that is really reassuring where you just feel like right now you have that, but you've leaned into it. And I was listening to this song which talks about like how the most interesting people don't know what they want to do when they're 40 anyway and I think that's great it's like you can like you said you can have a lot of good things that you're doing and you can know that you're on the right path without knowing that like you can do 100 things a day and like all these things like because to be honest is it I guess I guess it doesn't work like that but no one tells you it doesn't work like that yeah no absolutely I think there's also something to when you're younger you're on a track and you compare yourself to others that are on that same track like you're all in school together and you're all in the same classes and then at least you know for me you go you go do banking you go to business school um but people who really change the world are not on a track and so there's no path and you have to be comfortable with a lot of uncertainty and you have to be comfortable um, doing things that no one else has done. And that's how great people and great founders and people who really make a difference in the world, um, they, they did not follow any, any track. And therefore, there's a lot more risk to that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of see it as like. This is, this is the way I see those kind of things. This is a bit of a tangent, but it's kind of like being a horse. Well, sorry, you know, like a carriage with a horse. Um, you kind of, I feel like there's like, the way I see it is like when you see someone like, I don't know, Central Park or whatever, and you, you're, you see a carriage with a horse, you're like when you graduate and you do a job, I feel like you're basically the horse because, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like when you're the horse, you know where you're going it's very clear the like someone else is directing you and you've got like the blinkers on. So you just see straight forward, but like you can live a good horse life. Like you can find a horse girlfriend, have some horse babies. Like you don't, cause you don't really have to think about the path. Like the path is clear. But then I think also like you can then decide to be like the person who goes, like tells where the horse is, which is a bit more stressful because you can see everything. You can see where the horse is going. You have to decide like all the different elements of 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 all these other element elements of where the horse is like there's a way more anxiety in like leading the horse um or you can be like a rich like you can just be like born wealthy and be like the the person who sits in the carriage and you don't have to think about anything <laughs> that is true <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's kind of like how I'm starting to think about like different elements of these things where you're like, which path do you want to go on? Because none are bad. They're just all just different ways of yeah. living. Yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of that's the beauty of the world and that we're all unique snowflakes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Christina, if you even understand my like analogy. No, I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Um, I was following. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, another question. This is a question. Um, this is a question that a different guest asked. Um, I'm not sure if you saw if I sent it to you because it was the guest from the previous, like last week's. It was Giorgio. A question he asked the next guest is, um, "What's the event or thing in fintech that will basically stop you working in fintech? Like, what's the event that will, will happen when it happens? You'll you'll think, you know, it's time for you to kind of move on." Or, I don't know. It could, it yeah. could be positive or negative. Um, that's an interesting. That's an interesting question. I was going to say when we've um, figured out crypto applications, <laughs> when you know crypto as a as a market has like matured to the point where you know um, the the sort of like financial system that's built on top of it is like really mature then maybe the next thing won't be fintech maybe i'll be interested in something else but but i'm not sure exactly that's that's a good question i like i said at the beginning i think fintech is so broad it touches so many different industries and it's so core to being a human like storing value I just don't ever see a world where it's um, boring. I think that's fair. And also, if you're talking about crypto applications, I think y- you have a while. <laughs> I have a long time. I yeah, another, yeah. I don't know how many years, but it's 30. <laughs> yeah, although sometimes I think that. And then I'm like, when you were talking, I was like, things move so fast. That's like, do you know what I mean? Like when you think about how we use our phones, like people didn't use their phones like this 10 years ago. So in a sense where you were like crypto applications, I was like, oh, that's a long career. But then I'm like, you never know with these things. Like it could not be as long as we think. Do you know what I mean? Things mature quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Well, and I think with um, with crypto, you, you, were, you asked a question around like what keeps you up at night, you know, yeah. professionally. Um I mean, I think the thing that keeps me up is like market timing, right? To your to your point around how long these these things can be fast, they can be slow. Um, yeah, the people who do the best at investing, they start investing during platform shifts. So it's when the internet's rising, when yeah, your iPhone is nascent, and there's all these applications being built on top of it, or or cloud, um, and so you have this incredible wave to ride. And usually all those companies that are built have a really good answer to the question of why can this exist now and not before? Like the why now question is a really important one as an investor to ask. Um, And so for the iPhone, it's pretty obvious. You could say, well, why couldn't Uber exist before? Well, we could never know someone's exact location and they never had access to the camera on their phone and they never had a computer in their pocket. And that's huge. So I think that the open question with crypto is, well, crypto is clearly like, or blockchains are a really exciting technology and it's probably the most exciting technology shift that's happening right now. But where do we need, you know, decentralized applications and where does that make the experience better? And what will be the timing of that? And will that ever happen? Um, so that's, that's a thing that I think a lot of people haven't answered yet. Yeah. 
well, you've got the next 30 years to answer it. I'm working on it. <laughs> You're working on it. Um, going to move on now to the quick fire. Um, so I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and they have nothing to do with fintech. Um, and just answer what you think is like what fits you. You ready? Sure. Okay, cool. Um, clubbing or dinner party? Uh, dinner party. Would you rather wake up as a new person every day or spend the day inside a stranger but have no control of what they do? I think spend the day inside a stranger. Um, would you rather have more time or more money? Oh, more, more time. Would you rather spend the night in a luxury room or camping surrounded by beautiful scenery? Luxury room. I tried to convince myself I liked camping for a period of life. And then I was like, know thyself. I want a big comfy bed with like eight pillows. Christina, I'm the same. <laughs> like, um, would you rather be stuck on a train or a bus? Probably a train. Uh, would you rather have your flight delayed by eight hours or lose your luggage? Thank you for having me. Oh my God. That's like neither. I Traveling <laughs> is just so annoying. Um, <laughs> probably, probably flight delay. Yeah. <laughs> would you rather explore spe- the, um, space or the ocean? Space. Would you rather be locked in an amusement park or a library? Probably an amusement park. I mean, I love reading, but like, that sounds kind of fun. <laughs> Would you rather mentally or physically never age? Oh, probably, um, well, ooh, that's really hard. The both, of those, the both of those are tough when you're older, right? Because either you're mentally not there, but you're in a, in a body and then your brain decays and you kind of like live forever or you're mentally really sharp and you want to do all these things, but you physically cannot. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Neither. <laughs> I, wanna, I, I think that it's good that we decay at the same time mentally. No, come on, give us an answer. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, probably keep uh, body young, my, mind decay, because I think, um, I think it would be really, really hard to... Or you know what? Maybe the other way around, because then and then I die and I'm still like you know, the same like mentally mentally thirty years old. Like that's kind of great. Yeah, yeah, it's quite hard. I think I would go for physically age, mentally. Yes. Yeah. Stay, I don't stay know. Sharp. Stay sharp and like get other people to do things for me because I won't have the ability to. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. It's a good one. Would you rather be super strong or have X-ray vision? Mm, x-ray vision okay fair enough all right cool thanks christina thank you that was fun Uh, yeah um so um yeah thank you for doing the sort of quick fire session um but yeah as we are on the haven deck friends podcast we are keen to kind of highlight other friends that maybe we don't know is there a friend that you think that we should know about or you're keen to highlight um in fintech i mean my my partners at bain capital ventures are some of the smartest people i've worked with in fintech and uh, in particular my partners merit hummer and sarah hinkfis are really awesome so i would highlight them uh, i learn so much from working with them and what is a question that you think we should ask the next friend um i want to know what do you think is the like 
last part of, you know, financial services to get uh, kind of innovate? Like, where's the last point of innovation in financial services? That's a good question. What do you, well, answer your your question first. Um, Maybe your core banking relationship. Like most people don't actually use, a lot of people don't use neobanks or I don't, you know, despite the fact that like many exist, I still have like my Chase account as my main banking relationship. And so I'm wondering when that will change. And my last question before I end, what does a week in fintech look like for you? What does your your week look like? Um, Well, it's a lot of founder meetings and um, some fun events and, and dinners. And so... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my week is just talking to people smarter than me and finding great companies. <laughs> Sounds like a good week to me. Yeah. 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 And also getting like the kids to bed and they're going to sleep kids through the night. To bed. <laughs> fingers crossed for tonight. Fingers crossed. I've got my fingers crossed. All right. Awesome, Christina. Thank you so much for coming on Haven Tech Friends. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Signals is our subscriber-only reads, and I'm going to read you a snippet from one of our latest articles, Skip the Teller, Digital Banking in Emerging Markets by Sophie Bo. For the 1.4 billion unbanked adults across the world, the path to accessing financial services starts with a cell phone. Mobile money has expanded financial access to over a billion people in emerging markets over the past decade by letting users access banking without having to go to a physical branch. As mobile money expands to serve new populations, it's important that these programmes consider other building blocks like the feasibility of digital KYC or the national government's appetite to experiment with new regulatory frameworks in real time. To read the rest of this article, please subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter. Okay, so events. RegTech Summit is happening in London on October the 4th. Fintech Surge is happening in Dubai on the 10th of October to the 13th. Merge 2022 is happening in London on October the 17th to the 18th. And of course, how could I not mention the best year-end fintech event, which is happening on the 11th of November 2022 in New York, the Fintech Formal, hosted by This Week in Fintech.